Hey guys and welcome to episode 2 of Give It The Beans. Today I am super pumped to have Rob from Team LRF on today's podcast. Just a quick one before we get started to say that all things discussed in today's podcast are for informational purposes only and should not be deemed as advice or medical advice in any way. Should you wish to partake in anything discussed at all in today's podcast, I'd recommend you seek the advice of a medical professional. Hope you enjoy, guys. Thanks. Hey, guys. Welcome to episode two of Give It The Beans. Uh, As I said to you in this little sort of pre-intro, we have the UK's most successful prep coach on today, and I am so excited to introduce him to you today. Most of you will know him as Team LRF on Instagram. Um, I'm going to call him Rob today. He has over 150 show wins at the current moment and 11, maybe that's 12 or 13 IFBB Pro cards. Maybe you could correct me there, Rob. Um, yeah, so yeah, nice. No, it's a pleasure. And uh, yeah, we've got, uh, so it's 15 pro cards in total, uh, broken down into 11 IFBB Pro cards and four. Uh, elite pro cards which is slightly different but we can discuss that later yeah. yeah and you've got is it over 13 ifbb pro top fives at the current moment or is that was that increased from this past weekend because you just had a lot of clients compete there at the finals no so that means actually pro places so we've had 13 professional athletes place in the top five of professional competitions okay yeah apologies then and potentially more with the olympia coming up this weekend you got a very good athlete in Ria. How do you think she will fare this weekend in her first Olympia? Yeah, sure. We, well, I've actually got two people competing right now. So uh, there's two guys out in Vegas competing now at the, at the amateur Olympia. Fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah. So literally, as we speak, they'll either be pumping up or on stage. So um, yeah, they, they both look super. So uh, it's going to be a lo- long night for you waiting on those results then. Uh, yeah, but you, you know what shows are like. That they'll know sort of where where they're gonna place by their call outs and they're standing on stage yeah. and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, no, the Olympia's massive, man. It's uh, it's tomorrow or when this podcast goes out, it might already have been. But you know, the, the hopes for Rio are to make uh, the top ten, uh, which would be like an unheard of feat um, in terms of like females and uh, UK females at the Olympia. Because no female ever outside of Kate Errington has ever placed yeah. top 10 at the Olympia. So no figure athlete, no bikini athlete has ever made the top 10 at the Olympia. So it would be record-breaking if she went and done that this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's an amazing accomplishment for her to get there. But if we could just give the listeners a little bit more of a background, sort of about your whole journey from the start of your bodybuilding career, maybe the first time you picked up a dumbbell, all the way to your own compet- your own competitions, and then just a little bit of a summary of how you built up the the LRF brand to where it is today to to be the most successful sort of prep coach. And you've got a few coaches working with you. So if you could, for those of you people that are maybe hiding under a rock that don't know know about you, can you just give us a little bit of insight on that? Yeah, for sure, man. And as thanks for the really kind intro. I really appreciate it. Not a um, so yeah, I, I just started bodybuilding when I was 13 years old um, so it, 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 I, I didn't know it was bodybuilding then I thought it was just lifting weights but so yeah. at the age of 13 I was at Spurs so Tottenham uh, for those people who don't know what Spurs is so Tottenham is a premiership football club so I was a pretty decent footballer when I was younger and then over one summer holiday I got really fat um, and, and I, was a, I, was a, I was a really fat teenager and uh, the, the way the way the football screens work uh, in this country is you do a two-day trial every year. So the people that are in the squad, they do a two-day trial. I don't know if this is still the case because this is like 17, 18 years ago now, but you did a two-day trial and the first day of the trial was a fitness assessment. And I fouled the fitness assessment on the first day. Right. So I had to go back in the car to my dad at the end of the day and say, oh, dad, I, dad, I fouled. You know, and I was 13 years old. And, and previous to that, I, I was always you know one of the top three or four players in the team. Yep. And... Um, yeah, but because I got fat, I just couldn't pass a fitness assessment. So I had to go back and say to my dad, listen, dad, I fouled, I'm sorry. And and that day, he took me to the gym. So he took me to the gym that day and said, there's a treadmill, there's a bike, you get yourself fit. Nice. And uh, whenever I sort of, my dad never trained. He's a very big man, you know, he's, he's six foot four and he's just very, very broad. But he never trained. So 
whenever he'd drop me to the gym, I'd check and see if he had left yet. And when he'd left, I'd go run on the dumbbells and start doing some curls, <laughs> start doing some benching and stuff. And I had no idea what I was doing. But in the end, I managed to drop a lot of weight. And um, when I was old enough to actually join a proper gym, this was at Ballantyne. You know, I was going to Ballantyne. And yeah, yeah. when I was old enough to join a proper gym, I, um, I, I went and joined a decent gym. And then I started actually learning how to lift properly. You know, in my early days, I made many mistakes, like in, in coaching as well as bodybuilding. You know, in terms of bodybuilding, I, I would train chest every day because I thought if I didn't train chest every day, then my chest would go flat. <laughs> We've all been there, right? Yeah, for sure. Like you know, people used to do biceps, and I thought, right, if I don't train chest every day, it's, it's going to go. It's just going to, you know, it's just not going to be there. Not that I had any muscle anyway. But um, but yeah, and then uh, then at the age of like uh, I'd say uh, 22, I was when I did my first show. So. At the age of 22, a bodybuilder, an IFBB pro actually, approached me. His name's Ian Wadley. Um, okay. And he was like, Rob, you should do a bodybuilding show. I said, I don't want to do that, man. I don't want to stand in them pants. And, you know, <laughs> I don't want to do that. And um, anyway, he sort of just uh, sort of was a bit blase about it. And then he just said it again, like another, another three or four weeks later. He was like, Rob, you should do a bodybuilding show. And I was like, all right, well, well what we got to do? Like, well, you know, what is it? And he was like, well, you know, you've got a diet and you've got to do cardio and and I said, all right, well, you know what? I'll give it a go. I weren't, I weren't playing football at the time. Um, yeah, and, and I sort of didn't have any interests apart from, um, apart from girls, you know, when you're that young. But, <laughs> so was he your uh, first coach? He wasn't actually a coach. Literally, it was like... Just a guy? I would, yeah, I was just reading things out of the magazine and uh, I would maybe see him once every two weeks and he'd be like, all right, let's, let's see what you look like. And they say, right, you need to eat a little bit less. And I say, all right, I'll eat a little bit less. So... I'd eat a little less, and uh, and it sounds crazy, man, like to, to do that now. But and we're only talking like eight years ago, nine years ago. Yeah. But there was nobody. There was nobody doing online coaching. There was nobody doing face-to-face coaching. There was nobody about them. So yeah, like you, you could call him a coach, but he was literally. I think during the whole prep, I probably spoke to him five times, and uh, it would have been like maybe 15, 16 weeks. Yeah. And. I made all the rookie mistakes, you know. Well, I, I call them mistakes, but you know they're more learning curve. Like I did zero carb for probably ten weeks, and, and I mean zero carb. Like, I didn't even have vegetables. Like, <laughs> I, I just, like, literally, my meal would be two hundred grams of white fish, and that would be it. And I would have five white fish meals a day and one turkey meal. That kind of reminds I'm, me of that video of the guy on YouTube that yeah. says he had fish <laughs> and a rice cake. Fish and yeah, rice cake. Is that you? Yeah, I think that was based on my first prep. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so and then and then I would I would uh, you know I, I would do two hours cardio a day. So I did I did all the things that like sort of like old school bodybuilders would do. Yeah. Uh, before the show, like I, I didn't drink water. I drank like five hundred mils of water in two days. You know, like <laughs> I did all the stupid things that like like, like, like now I say we well, shouldn't do that. Yeah. Uh, and and I just learned through those mistakes and. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't really know anything about bodybuilding then. Um, I just knew that I looked all right, and um, I went and done a show. There were 16 people in my lineup in the first show. Damn, that's a lot. 16 people, yeah. It was when the, when the UKBFF was almost at its prime. Um, so 16 people at my first show, and I managed to get third. Um, and I was like, like yeah, I, I was really happy with that. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I should take this a bit more seriously, because I still weren't taking it seriously. Yeah, I was doing what was needed, but... You know, I didn't book a tan. I, I, you know, I, I went and got trunks from like a mate who, would, like, you know, I just borrowed them from. I just weren't taking it seriously, and I thought, you know what, maybe I should take it seriously. And then I did take it seriously for a couple of years, and I ended up turning from a classic bodybuilder into a super heavyweight bodybuilder. And at the time, I sort of went from my stage weight at my first show was ninety-one kilos, and three years later, was one hundred and five. It's big um, jump. So, so yeah, I managed to learn some things in the process, and during that process. Um, people would just ask me for help, you know, they'd see that I'd competed, they'd see that, well, you know, you're doing quite well, like, can you ask, can I have some help? And i said, yeah, of course, man, like, you know, I'm, I'm always willing to help people and um, just help them and, and they were a couple of mates and they did a show and they won and it was something, like, something crazy, like my first five clients all won. Brilliant. And I was like, man, you know, this is, this is easy, like, this is easy. So it's you know, it's just snowballed from there? Yeah, just snowballed from there, you know, just, but they, they were all guys, like, which is completely different to now. Like, they were all guys. They were all bodybuilders. And men's physique weren't really about them. And bikini weren't really about them. They were just all bodybuilders. Okay. Um, and then sort of from there, you know, I was late to the social media game. Um, like I didn't get on social media until real late. Um, so I never really advertised anything. It was just mates talking to mates. 
and I see in a rock spot, look at this bodybuilder stuff, why don't you go see him? And then I go see him and then I build up a little business from there. Yeah, I always tend to say that if you're a pretty good coach, your clients tend to be your advertising for you. That they will just, as you said, refer you to so and so, refer you to so and so, refer you to so and so. So would you say that in that time period, that you got busy enough that you didn't need social media at a time where social media got pretty big? Well, I worked a full time job, so so I used to be so during the during the twenty twelve games, I actually worked at the Olympics. So I actually worked for three years at the Olympics from two thousand and nine when they were building the structures to two thousand and twelve. Okay. Uh, so I had a very very well paid full time job. Um, and that was why I was doing my first bodybuilding shows. And then from 2012, I went and got another government contract at an organisation called Public Health England. And I never actually started uh, doing any sort of full-time coaching or bodybuilding until about 2015. Um, okay. And in 2015, I had a big enough client base that would cover all my costs and then just earn me a little bit of money on the side. But until that point, I was working full-time as well. Yeah. Okay. That's wicked. So... Moving on, obviously, today's podcast is going to be about all things competitive bodybuilding. We're going to try and keep it, for those of you that maybe perhaps won't know much about bodybuilding side of things and those that might know a little bit, anything that perhaps I might feel we might speak in our language, scientific language, I'm going to always just try and maybe interrupt and let's just break it down. But let's just start off right at the basics and just say there's so many classes now along with so many federations. You know, we've got three bikini classes in some feds, we've got three now figure classes, what would you say would be the hardest class to prep for and why? I think I think the hardest class to prep for would be somebody who didn't know what they really wanted. So I know, I know that's, that's a, a roundabout the bush answer, but like I, I have clients who come to me and they've never been to a show. And because they've never been to a show, they can't really see what that class looks like. They'll come to me, they'll have no muscle, and they'll say, right, I want to do figure. Yeah. And I said, well, you can't really do figure because it might take you 18 months to get there. But I said, well, I want to compete in six months' time. But you have to understand that that doesn't really work. So I think the hardest class to prep for is the class that people don't really understand. Um, and a lot of people, again, don't really understand the class. Like they'll, they'll go into a tone figure class, for example. And tone figure is, in my opinion, very similar to bikini, just with different poses. Um, yeah. so they'll say oh, I want to do tone figure but then they're like well I'm not lean they think they're not lean enough they're like you know I need to get leaner I need to get leaner I need to get leaner but they're not comparing themselves to actually what the criteria is so the hardest class to prep for is the one that where the people don't really know what they want to do um, but if you're actually saying right well what don't you like prepping for I used to find it incredibly hard to prep for UK BFF bikini um, because I just found a judging, and this isn't if I get any particular judge, I just found the judging was actually quite inconsistent um, in terms of what they actually wanted. So one week I found that they wanted hard girls, the next week I found they wanted soft girls, and I just found that that was a little bit inconsistent. Now it's moved over to the, to the two bros, and the two bros then affiliates with the IFBB, I actually find that a little bit easier to prep for, but... Yeah, I find a bikini class probably the hardest class to prep for because I do think there's a massive amount of discrepancy in what certain judges want compared to other judges. Yeah, now I guess that that kind of brings us on to our next question, but before I ask that, I'm going to pick from one of your examples about the same look for a toned bikini girl, and you said, sorry, toned figure and a bikini girl are very similar. So let's say you, you get a, a female client that comes to you, because there might be some, some potential females out there listening thinking, right, if that's roughly the same, how would I know which one to go to if the poses are similar? Would you say that in that sense it was more down to their preference of how they want to pose? Do they want to do a routine? Or is it actually, well, there's a certain federation that would kind of maybe like a bit more glutes, certain federation might like, like a little bit more... Uh, medial delts so in that scenario if they come to you what would your advice be to them or would you like allow them to make the decision yeah no I, I always put it down to the client like I, I have no preference where people compete you know we have people competing the PCA we still have people doing UKBFF we, we still have people doing the two bro stuff I have no preference where people compete I just if it's somebody's first show I would look at things like how far are they are they away from the venue um, can I get to the show? Because if it's someone's first show, those two things are really, really important because if they're traveling miles to the show, 
and that's going to put a hell of a lot of stress under their body. They're also going to be stressed because it's their first show. And if it's miles and miles away from me, I'm not going to be there to reassure them. So I would say, right, where are you based? Oh, you're based in Manchester. Oh, well, actually, there's a show in Birmingham in, in five weeks' time. Why don't you pick that? Or they say, like, for example, yourself, I'm, I'm based in Scotland, but the show's down in London. You know, that's going to, one, add a hell of a lot of money to your cost of competing because you've got to yep. get down here, you've got to stay there. Um, so, yeah, I, I would leave it to the client. I'd maybe give them three or four options. Say, listen, here's a couple of shows I think you might fit well in. Let me know what you think's best. And then have a contingency plan just in case that show goes to pot. Like, just in case things do, like, don't work out. Like, you have an incredible amount of stretch, your bikini breaks on stage, anything can happen, you know. So I'd have this one show and say, this is what I think you should go for. And then I'd have a second show and be like, well, here's a contingency plan just in case. Yeah. And in that instance, I obviously see from your Instagram, and many people will, you're probably one of the only coaches in the country that makes an effort. Like I see you every Saturday, Sunday at shows across across the UK and England because there's more shows down, down south. Let's say you have a scenario where you've got 10 athletes in one show and then on the same day another 10 on the other side of the country. Now... Obviously, that's a hard decision to make. Which show do you go to? Do you prioritise, or perhaps does one of your other coaches go to the other other show to try and just again be that reassurance of that presence of the brand is there? Or how do you go about that? Yeah. I'll tell you a story actually. Uh, so uh, Mel, my partner, she probably still not forgiving me for this. Um, <laughs> so she done a Saxon last year. So she done a Saxon last year, and on the same day of the Saxon. My training partner was doing the UK BFF show on exactly the same day, and the Saxon is in like um, uh, like I'm sure the Saxon then was in Birmingham. The Saxon might have been in Birmingham, and the UK BFF show was in Leicester. So I went on the morning of the show with Mel, and I also had five clients in each show as well. So there was it was right. an even distribution, and it was like, do I go and see my training partner, or do I go and see my partner Mel? And I and I'd done ten shows with Mel by then. Anyway, I went the morning of the show with Mel. I made sure that Mel was fine in the morning, made sure all the girls are fine on the day of the Saxon. I then drove from Birmingham to Leicester to then watch my training partner compete, yeah. saw him compete, watched my other clients compete, and then drove back to uh, to, to the, the Saxon show, but I'd missed all my clients by then. Yeah. Um, so so that, was a, that was an absolute nightmare. So... And, and last year, I don't know if you remember, the, the British finals for PCA and for UKBFF were on the same, same weekend. Day, yeah, yeah. And I think they are again this year. And I think last year it was like 16 at PCA and 15 at UKBFF. And I actually went to Neva show. Yeah. I actually went to Neva show. I said, oh, because I know what would happen as well. And, and I know how clients think because I've been in their shoes. So this isn't, any, this isn't wrong to think like that. But if you pick a certain federation or a certain show, then those other clients are going to feel like, well, Rob's picked the other people over me. Yeah. When, when you can't simply be in two places at the same time. So there are times now where I'll say to Jace, who Jace goes left, right, and center with me, and if he doesn't, he'll be at another show and I'll be at some, another show. Yeah. He'll go and represent the brand and help make sure the athletes are okay and I'll be at the other location make sure people are okay as well. Yeah, that's wicked. Cool. I went off on a little bit of a tangent there, but I thought it was it was necessary. So, going back to the the first one, we we talked about um, a, a very similar look from one class to the next. So, with so many federations now, you got you know UKBFF, PCA. Now you got FMC, Two Bros, IFBA. With the same class or same variations, you know, as you said, you got the three bikini classes. I think you've kind of got this down to a T in the sense of you seem to know what every federation wants in regards to a different look. Now, if there was perhaps a female competitor out there or, or a guy um, thinking of competing and they're thinking, right, what does the P PCA bikini girls look like versus the two bros look like? So would you say that you've noticed some trends? Do those trends perhaps change every year, like you mentioned in the previous sort of question? And if you had... You know, a, a client doing as they do multiple shows across the month, one two bros, one PCA. I mean, just a, maybe an example of how you maybe tweak things. So I know that's a jam packed question, but um, if you could give a little bit of light to, you know, yeah, for sure, yeah, that, that would be great. So, so I'm going to break that question down. So I think figure 
in terms of uh, like when I'm talking athletic figure, trained figure, I'm not going to talk about tone just yet, but I think athletic figure, trained figure, uh, IFBB figure, and UKBFF body fitness are all the same. They're okay. all figure. So they're all figure. So it's about condition, size, and still looking feminine. That, that there is a black and white criteria. Easy to prep for. Bodybuilding, easy to prep for. Who's the biggest? Who's the most conditioned? You win. Yeah. Men's physique also, in my opinion, is a massive part of our condition. Condition and size. You're not as big as bodybuilders, but you've got a nice look. You're very symmetrical. You're good to look at. Black and white criteria, in my opinion. Yeah. Then, then when you go to things like bikini, this is where it differs from show to show. And it's difficult because bikini is probably the most popular class nowadays. Yeah. Um, so, in terms of the IFBB look and the two bros look, I have found that the girls are slightly leaner than other federations. Um, that's not to say, again, that if you're doing PCA, if you're doing UKBFF, if you're doing uh, FMC, you, you shouldn't be conditioned. But the girls who do the other shows are slightly more conditioned and they're also a little bit bigger than what you think as well. Um, a great example here would be uh, Phoebe Hagen. So Phoebe is an incredible athlete and uh, she will be at the Olympia next year without a doubt. But she isn't a small girl. You know, she has a lot of muscle and she is probably, if not the best bikini girl in the UK, she'll be the, the very close second best in the UK. Um, but she has a hell of a lot of muscle. But people will look and think, oh, she's bikini, she's not that big. She's not that big, no, but she carries a hell of a lot of muscle. Yep. Um, same as somebody um, who, like Zomira is another lady that uh, we helped uh, turn pro. You know, these girls carry a lot of muscle. Um, they're also in very, very good condition. So it's, yeah, again, I would be the person who would go to a show, look at what the judges wanted and say, right, you probably fit in that federation. You don't quite carry as much muscle as what they're looking for here. So I don't want you to prep. Don't place and be disheartened. Yeah. I would rather you fit, you know, stay in your lane almost. Say, right, you haven't got that much muscle yet, but in 12 months' time you will. So for now, let's just tick off these boxes. Let's get this federation done. Get your win. Get your confidence up. And then next year we can go and do that. So, yeah. yeah. In terms of answering your question, um, I find the two bros, uh, girls and the IFBB girls carry a little bit more muscle and they're a little bit more conditioned. Whereas the PCA girls and the UKBFF girls are a little bit softer and they're not as big as the other girls. Okay, that's cool. So if we were to think of that same scenario you said about how you tell a client, right, let's just do this one fed and let's maybe perhaps worry about the next one the next year. With perhaps a lot of amateurs that are listening who will probably still go and do three shows in a month because that's just what they want to do. Um, and I've, I've seen it this season um, with people up in Scotland. But if, if say, you've got a girl that you know is doing two bros the week after she's doing a PCA, and, okay, she's maybe not quite as got the size that you're looking for, but she's doing it regardless of what you say. Um, of course, probably you'd maybe first thing say, well, you'd maybe not prep that client because they're not listening to you. However... Scenario-wise, let's say there's someone out there that is going to do that. How would you, maybe, or how would someone approach that in the sense of would they focus on getting the condition for two bros and maybe perhaps being quote-unquote over-conditioned for PCA, which might affect their placing, and then you would say to them, you know, well, that's what we're focused on, so not, you know, don't be too disheartened. Or what sort of tweaks, maybe if it was the opposite way around, let's say they'd done two bros first, and then you wanted a softer look second. If for anyone out there wondering the different look, what what could perhaps what would Rob do? Yeah, for sure. Um, first of all, I would set realistic expectations for the client. Um, so I would make it very very clear that if you get you know we, we want we want you to do well with the two rows. We want you to do well with the two rows. You've got the PCA the next week, but we want you to do well with the two rows. Doing well with the two rows may mean you don't do as well with the PCA, and I'd set those in. Yeah, set those guidelines out really, really clearly. Yep. And then I'd say, right, so what we're going to do is we're going to get in, in really, really good condition here, and I'm, and then I'm just going to try and fill you out a little bit early. So, for example, we peak on a Saturday, and you've got another show on a Saturday, or Sunday, uh, UK shows each Sunday. So you peak on a Sunday. So now you're in really, really good condition. You're carved up. You're, you're looking full. You're looking super. 
I would then, what I always do with peak weeks is I get the person to check in every single day and I just try and make that look softer, 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 softer. And the way I would do that is I would just pull down their cardio, push their fats up, push their um, carbs up, pull down their protein. Because then a lot of the extra glycogen that you're going to have is just going to spill over and it's going to be a little bit of water, a little bit of body fat. And that's how then you're going to get softer in a week's time. Um, if you had to flip round that scenario, so now you're soft and you have to get, not soft, but you're softer. Soft carrier. Yeah. yeah, and you have to get harder in a week, then I would over-diet the person to start with, almost spill them over at the first yeah. show. Yeah, yeah, run them flat. And then back in for the, um, for the, the leaner show, uh, which would be the two bros. So yeah, I would possibly say over-diet, spill out, spill over a little bit, pull you back in, and then you'll be ready for that that show as well. Yeah, and what I like it with that example as well is that you kind of gave listeners an, of what exactly you would do in regards to food, their output, and whatnot. Because you know, as we know, bodybuilding is an expensive game, um, or getting a coach is expensive game. And if there's people out there that are perhaps doing it themselves, they may be going by forums or Google or or whatnot. Um, especially guys. Um, so I think that will be real valuable for perhaps any bikini girls or whatnot listening. But this is a really good um, transition to the next one. And it's something that I've obviously, I've followed you for a long time, but something that's been more apparent um, in the industry recently is the use of PEDs, anabolics, steroids, drugs, whatever you want to call it for any of the listeners out there, in bikini classes which you've made quite clear and I 100% agree with you on that is not needed and what I just wanted to get from you was do you feel that this is perhaps uh, coming from just a lack of education from a coaching standpoint or is it do you think it's stemming from somewhere individually and um, because what we're obviously we're seeing now is uh, a lot of these girls being put on compounds that will have a, a big detriment to their health their ability to perhaps have kids later on in life when really as you you've said and you've got the results to back it up is not needed so i know you've, you're very passionate about that so i just wanted you to have your opportunity to to say where you think it stemmed from uh, the problems that come with it and um perhaps if you've noticed a trend yeah for sure well i think it's twofold again um i think it's under education on coaches part because you know i, I had this discussion with people you know probably more than once a week um, and someone will say, well, I want to start gear, and it will be a bikini girl. And I'll say, why? Why do you want to start? Well, because I want to be bigger. But bikini girl isn't, a bikini girl isn't somebody who needs massive amounts of muscle. Yep. All right, um, so how long do you think it's going to take me? It might take you 12 months. All right, well, I, I want it to take six months. Okay, yeah, performance and and drugs might help you do that, but if you use those drugs incorrectly for six months, it will fuck you up for six years. Yes. You know, so, so, so what then is the point? Rather than it being like, right, I'm going to take my time, I'm going to enjoy the journey, I'm going to do it the way that I should do it, really, or I want that fast forward. And I think that's the second reason why people do it is because we live in a society where instant gratification is almost totally. a must. So I want it right now. I want to be a pro right now. You know, I know people who have done no shows. They've never competed, but they want to be a pro. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's great to have dreams, you know, but they want to be a pro right now. And they think that that tablet or that anabolic or something will speed that process up, but it won't. Um, because at the end of the day, it's longevity in the sport, which really, really counts. Um, so, yeah, I think it's one, under-educated, under-educated coaches, not knowing sort of what implications certain drugs will have on people. Um and listen, I, I, I'm open and honest with everything. I'm not saying that every person I prep is natural. I'm not saying that at all. Of course. What I'm saying to you is that every bikini girl that I prep is natural. Because yeah. bikini girls have absolutely no right to be using anabolics. Yeah, that's why I was saying in the question, and I, I literally, when I sent it over, I put it in bold just so we, and maybe I didn't emphasize it, that it was just bikini girls we were going to yeah, chat absolutely. about. Because, um, yeah, we are you know there, there's no point beating around the bush it is and as sometimes people will see it as needs must and when it comes to your figure athletes and whatnot but if there was perhaps a bikini girl out there who was being advised 
to do this by a coach, what would you what would your advice to that client or uh, person be? I would I would say to them, here is examples of natural bikini girls. One, two, three, four, five. Send it to them and say, why are these girls telling me that they're natural and you're telling me that I need to use enhancements? And I can promise you there'll be no answer good enough that will warrant them using steroids. Um, no answer at all. You know, again, it's a grey area, um, but there are bikini girls out there that will use fat burners. Yeah. I don't think it's. I don't think it's necessary. I think it's. This is going to sound probably really poor, but I think it's more acceptable to use a fat burner than to use. A no, I. I would admit I hundred percent agree with you because there's going to be less detriment to their health. There might be a short term detriment, yeah. but longevity yeah. term using anabolics. It's night and day difference. So for people out, there that, people out there that might be saying, oh, that's hypocritical, what? well, one, they're probably saying it because they don't know a lot about the anabolics themselves versus the, say, say someone's taking clean. Um, but, I mean, I would 100% agree with you on that one. Um, and do you feel, from watching your stories, there's perhaps a couple of coaches who will not be named, but do you feel that in that instance there needs to be some sort of I'm not going to say licensing in the industry, but because we are at this point, you know, playing about with someone's health or we're helping them on their journey, do you feel there's got to be some sort of um, regulation when it comes absolutely. to coaching? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, if there was a regulatory body, then it would get rid of half of the shit coaches straight away, yeah. um, and and it would save half the problems. It, I reckon it would save almost eighty, ninety percent are the problems that not only come about because of poor drug usage, but also because of poor diets, like binge eating. Like, if, if, if you could get coaches who don't really know what they're doing out of the industry, you know, I'm not saying binge eating would stop because it would never stop, but it would be, it would be reduced. And therefore, people don't understand, again, what binge eating actually does to your hormones. Yeah. You know, things like your thyroid and stuff. When, when you're at the bottom of prep, your thyroid is on the floor. Like your thyroid, which is, so thyroid, I know you know, but I was educated. 100% literally was a way to say. <laughs> metabolism and, you know, they, they regulate almost full body output. So in terms of metabolism and everything like that, so the rate at which you burn calories, that is on the floor when your calories are low and your cardio is high. Then all of a sudden you binge eat, you eat like, you know, and I know girls who do this, eat 5,000 calories every day for a week. Yeah. You gain 15, 20 pounds. Someone will tell you, oh, it's water. No, it's fucking not. A majority <laughs> of that is fat because your, your thyroid hasn't got time to catch up with the amount of calories you're putting in. So therefore, uneducated coaches will sort of leave people be after a show. They'll go and do that. They'll gain 20 pounds and then they'll yo-yo diet forever and then their thyroid will never have a chance to gradually pick up with the amount of calories that you're putting in. Yeah. You know, that, that's almost a linear line, you know, between reverse dieting and you know, people can't see here, but I'm trying to make it. A, 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 imagine two lines going in a, in a diagonal and they're very, very close to each other the whole time. So this will be your thyroid at the bottom and this will be your calorie increases. It needs to be a gradual on both. You know? yeah. It needs to gradually go up in both. You know, because then things will have time to catch up with each other. So, if there was a regulatory body, you could get rid of half of the coaches, and you would get rid of fucking sixty, seventy percent minimum of the problems in this industry. I think the main problem is though is that's never going to happen, though, is it? Not when they're no, not when you, not when you can be, you know, you can compete tomorrow and then be an online prep coach on Instagram, and next thing you know, you've got you know a roster full of clients. Um, yeah, for sure. You, you know, the, the amount when. The thing is, I'm a very, very black and white person. I will put things out there, and I know I'm an outspoken person, so I know there's repercussions to it. I know that. But I always say, if this helps one person, and one person doesn't go down the route that they don't have to, then what I've done is a success. And I think it does go out there, and it does reach people, and it does make people think, man, maybe I really shouldn't do that, or maybe I really shouldn't go with that coach because I've seen what he's done before. I got a message today okay, to say that a girl was using Lasix two weeks out, and she's yeah. a bikini athlete. So Lasix is the hardest diuretic that you can ever use. It will get rid of water, electrolytes, everything in your body. And at two weeks out, she was using it for, for, for a regional show. Yeah, that's, that's um, nuts. I mean, if if we talk to if we give the average listener who perhaps doesn't know what a diuretic is 
and perhaps the effect it has on the body. Now, of course, natural to put that in a few days out, totally agree. Well, not that, but maybe perhaps natural diuretics, like your H2 remove or something. But to give someone a concept of perhaps what that person, two weeks out, if they, let's say hypothetically that person running that for two weeks, how are they going to feel? What's that going to do to their body? Oh, mate, it, it will ruin them. If not, you know, Lasix has killed people in the past. You know, Lasix, you know, without a doubt, has killed people in the past, you know. Um, bodybuilders, and I remember it wasn't that long ago. It, it was probably within the last 18 months that the young lad died after the PCA show. I think um, I heard about that. Was he not driving yeah. his car and he pulled over his car or something like that? Yeah, yeah, he, 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 was, he, he fainted or something and he, and he died. And the post-mortem was a diuretic, you know. And so th- th- there's no joking about here that diuretics can kill you. Diuretics are the most dangerous thing in bodybuilding, even more dangerous than insulin. You know, diuretics are the most dangerous thing in bodybuilding. And, and you know, and, and when I call people out on certain things, a few other things then come up. And I know people say, well, actually, you do the same and da 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 but... I'm still yet to see a screenshot saying that I've done this and or something putting my name to something um, because I don't think it really exists. Yeah, I think um, I think there's a big difference as well between what you do versus perhaps what we've seen some coaches do out there in regards to you are putting health at the forefront of your mind for your clients and that's something that people will value very much so yeah, versus a coach that's uneducated that just says, ah, oh, you got to take this and you've got to do it and the look's going to be sick and just do that and check it next week because I can't be bothered speaking to you for a week. Uh, there's a difference and I think people see that because you are genuine and of course I've spoken, I think it's fucking brilliant. I always get a great laugh watching stories. Um, I think regardless of opinions out there or whatnot, the fact that you, that you give the truth will ultimately, I think, save people's lives or a few mm. people's lives because as you said, like someone being on that hard a uh, a diuretic over the years someone could die and that's yeah. that's really really sad but that's the um ultimately perhaps where it's going um, and god forbid yeah, that didn't happen and, and that's and and you know it, it, it's funny because people will message me and say they'll say i'm really glad you've done this and they'll pretty much say because i haven't had the balls to do it in just another in, in other words they say because i haven't had the balls to do it which is again which is fine like i i know that people are not you know are not not, I'm not saying they're not like me, but they're different characters to me. They don't want to go out and they don't want to say, well, you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. And the other day was actually the first person I actually ever named somebody doing something. Yeah. You know, it's the first time I ever said this is because the, what what was happening with that person was disgusting. And I mean, absolutely disgusting. Um, but, you know, it, 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 it's just, it's just a, a drop in the ocean of what is actually happening. Um, and un- unfortunately, people won't go out and say it, and there will never be, like you say, a regulatory body here. Um, but people just need to do, and I'm really poor at saying this word, due diligence on who they're actually going with. Totally. You know, they, they need to go and speak to previous clients. They need to seek out previous clients and say, what was this person like as a coach? And I know I will have people say fucking shit about me. I know they will because, yeah. unfortunately, that's how the bodybuilding industry works. Like, if I push a client in the last couple of weeks and I've really pushed them and they don't get the result they want and they leave, their last impression of me is Rob overdieted me, Rob overcardioed me, Rob pushed me a little bit too hard. If I push that same client and they win, their impression the best, of me is yeah. smashed it. Really glad I pushed hard. Absolutely awesome. Really glad you pushed me. So I know that there'll be opinions on me where people will say, you know, don't quite trust his methods, blah, 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 blah. That's fine. That is honestly fine because I know I've fucked up in the past. But go out and seek a few opinions. Go out and seek a few opinions that old clients say, how was it? How was this communication? How was this, uh, how was your coach's uh, methods? What were your methods? Was it, were you getting the same diet as somebody else or were you getting a little bit of a different method? And then just all of a sudden you've collected a little bit of primary research and you're like, well, the pros and cons of this coach are A, B, C, and the other pros and cons of coach B are X, Y, and Z. I'm going to go with coach X, Y, Z rather than A, B, C. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So I'm going to just move us on to our next question, which um, I sort of skipped this and went on the bikini question because I felt it was a good transition, but I'm just going to go back. Um, and it was just to give perhaps people out there just a, a brief summary of like a, 
a client's journey. I said we could take a, a men's physique athlete as an example. Um, with having discussed anabolics and whatnot for females and how we perhaps don't agree with the bikini side of things, we are well aware, and I'm sure that people are out there as well, that they are used for bodybuilding, men's physique athletes. So just perhaps, um, and I'm not saying, and I've said at the start of this podcast, um, this is not to be taken as um, advice and whatnot, it's just all from information purposes. But as an example, theoretically, um, what perhaps that men's physique athlete might use, might not, um, any roadblocks in the journey that they might have along the way and any sort of changes that they might make to, to said drugs. So if you could give us, let's say, I don't know, I, I know that a prep journey starts a year away in an off-season whatnot, but let's say 16, 18 weeks out, men's physique athlete, just as a generic, what would you say? So generally, if it's going to be, um, so this is something that I, I took off Milos, uh, Sartre, when I worked with Milos, is that we generally be trained drugs every five weeks so we would start with something like um maybe like a test and equipoise test and equipoise at like 15 weeks out dosages depend on how big the person is but if we're looking at men's physique they're not going to be massive so maybe we'd use 500 mega test and 500 mega equipoise see how that goes for the first five weeks at five weeks we've maybe changed that equipoise to something like uh master on an amphate uh, and then we'd keep the keep the dosages the same. So you stay at five hundred milligram. So for yeah. for just to interrupt there, for that change, perhaps for that person that doesn't know, why would we maybe perhaps move from a, a an EQ base to a, a masterone base and the different effects they may have on the body? Yeah, for sure. Um, so this isn't this isn't anything that when we talk drugs, there's never actually much that is proven. A lot of it is sort of field evidence. So yeah, yeah, and the experience in the field. And this is something that I have experienced many times with athletes is that when you change the drugs after five weeks, you generally get the best out of those drugs in those first five weeks. So if you've ever done a cycle in the past and you use the same compounds for 12 weeks, you, you will still get results, but you'll find that the results are best in those first five, six weeks. And if you don't change the compound, maybe those last five or six weeks are not as good as the first five or six weeks. And that's just what I've done just through working with Milos. And Milos could never really explain why he did it. His, he always just said, because it needs to be done and it's a better result. And I would say, okay, when, when I worked with Milos, I would try things myself. And then if it worked, I'd put it, I'd put it onto clients. Yeah. Um, so you'd swap the, you'd swap the equipoise over one because it makes you hold quite a lot of water, equipoise. It, it, it's a, it's a nandrolone-based drug, and nandrolone-based drug generally do make you hold a little bit of water. So you'd swap that over to a masteron and amphate. Masteron and amphate at that point would still be a slow-acting drug, like equipoise, but you'd reduce the water a little bit, because a masteron is a DHT drug rather than a, um, an, a nandrolone-based drug. And then, you'd pro- then I'd probably run that till around about five, maybe six weeks out. At that point, the athlete should be pretty lean by that stage. Once they're pretty lean at that stage, that's when you can add in things that will make not an instant effect, but a quicker effect. So definitely then you'd maybe start to add in things like Winstrol and Avar. But I don't like to add in orals too early because orals are very, very hard on livers and kidneys. And again, we're looking at, we're trying our best to look after people's health here. So if I were chucking in hard DHT drugs like Winstrow and Anavara 10 weeks out, when that person got their blood work done at the end of their cycle, their blood work would be fucking awful. But if you can hold off a little bit and then maybe just do it five or six weeks out, their blood work's going to be in a lot better position. So at the five or six weeks out mark, we want to start to add in things like Winstrow and Anavara. That Masteron and Amphate can then change over to Masteron Propanase. So now you've got a fast acting DHT drug which is going to be in and out of the system in 24 hours. It just gives you a crisper, harder look. Sure. Doubled up with your Winstrow and your Anavar. Maybe at that stage, again, fat loss is going to start to stall a little bit. So when fat loss does start to stall, my go-to would be Cleb. I use T3 as well with athletes at times. Um, but again, T3 will fuck with your hormones, uh, mainly your thyroid hormones. So... Sure. 
you want to use drugs that don't fuck with your hormones as much. I know testosterone, again, that's going to be the argument. Well, testosterone is a hormone. Yeah, it is. Of course it is. Sure. But testosterone is going to be almost a staple of it throughout. So in terms of when you store, so generally most people will store around about five, six, seven weeks out. I'd introduce a very, very small amount of clan. I would start it on the lowest possible dosage, which is probably about 0.2 mcg. So I'd start on 0.2, and I'd do two days on, two days off. And that's how I like to run clan. It's a two-day on, two-day off. You'll hear a lot of people who are generally quite old school doing two weeks on, two weeks off. I've heard all sorts of theories, but generally those are the two most common that people come up with. Two days on, two days off, or two weeks on and two weeks off. I think two weeks on that drug is almost useless because after the first three or four days, the effects of it are almost gone. Your, your shakes have gone, your increased heart rate has gone. So all the things that you're trying to do with Clen, they've almost gone within those first three or four days. If you run a two-day on a two-day off cycle, then you'll find those effects actually last a little bit longer. So you could maybe get away with three cycles of two-day on, two-day off before you start to hit a plateau in terms of, I need to eat, I need to have a little bit more clem. Then clem would rise a little bit as the people plateaued, and then maybe at like three weeks out, you'd hit another plateau, and that's maybe then when you want to drop in like a T3, but maybe only one T3, maybe if you're really, really struggling, one and a half, pushing up to two. Yeah. And that would generally be the cycle of, of a men's physique athlete. That's really interesting. I really like that you hold off on T3 until three weeks out. I've seen guys and been prescribed that and I have been prescribed that myself 20 weeks out you know and tapering it up past 25 up to 37 to 50 which I think is ludicrous but it, it happens so the fact that again during that whole time if you're listening Rob mentioned blood work he mentioned holding things off so again it's just an example that you even though obviously it's client's choice to use these that you still got their health in mind. Um, for anyone out there that has opinionated on um, bodybuilding, this, that, and the next on the body, it's people's choice, but it's just an example that the most successful coach in the country is still putting people's health at the forefront of what he does, which I just wanted to say is pretty, pretty awesome because you don't see that um, in a lot of coaches these days, unfortunately. It's just about getting the win and, and doing and doing whatever and then hey they've got the win see you later next and then that person's as you said for example thyroid's fucked um and then they binge they put on x amount of weight blah blah, blah um and perhaps life with an eating disorder in some occasions as well um anyway that would be a massive tangent so i'm going to move on um but i'm going to move on away from comp prep and, and I'm, I'm going to want to talk to yourself about complete strength the range of supplements you've got because there's a lot of people out there that they think, right, that protein powder or that cyclic dextrin, that creatine intra workout from bulk powders, what is the difference between that, your products, all they see is the price. And they maybe perhaps don't see the value in the effort you've went to perhaps get certain ingredients in your products versus others. So I just wanted to you to, to kind of Tell us what separates complete strength versus, um, let's say, a generic brand, a, a wide, you know, you've got your my proteins, your buck powders, the ones that are the cheapest. If you could tell yeah. us a little bit here to give us an insight, um, why, you know, what's the difference and, and why they're more effective as such? Yeah, so first of all, very, very few people, in my opinion, actually should use supplements. Um, and, and that sounds like, uh, uncontradicted what I'm doing in terms of the market, but I'll tell you why, because most people don't follow a decent diet. Most most people are not hydrated. Most people don't prioritize sleep. So regardless of what products you take, you'll have a shit workout. I could give you the best product in the world. If you haven't eaten all day, it's very un, it's very unlikely that you'll get a decent pump. Yep. It's very unlikely that you'll have any sort of recovery aids after. So most people should, shouldn't take supplements, in my opinion. If you can't Eat, your, eat the right food, if you can't get enough protein in, um, then, then regardless of what pre-workout, post-workout, magic pill you take, you ain't going to get the results you want. Sure. So the products that we, we make, they're not a specialist product by any means, but they're aimed at people who are already ticking most of the boxes. So if I gave Joe Bloggs a, uh, a bulk powder or a 
with my protein pre-workout, he'll say, man, it's fucking great. Full of caffeine, I'm buzzing. Da, 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 da. But in, when you ask the purpose of that pre-workout, you say, what's the purpose of a pre-workout? Well, it gets, gets me buzzing, then it gets me buzzing. No, that's not the purpose of a pre-workout. The purpose of a pre-workout is to increase your blood flow, therefore you get more nutrients to the muscle, therefore you fill up that muscle with blood and you grow a little bit quicker. No, 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 but you don't get, you don't get me, you don't get me buzzing. I say, okay, the product is not for you. So the product that we've, the products that we've made and the products that we are making are, are all tailored around people who actually are already ticking most of the boxes. So they just want a little bit extra from their workout. They want a little bit extra from their uh, pre-workout. So we went out and we seeked some of the best ingredients that we could possibly get our hands on. Um, things like astrogen. Astrogen is an ingredient that you'll never find. Well, not never find, that's, that's wrong, that you don't really find in, in pre-workouts. But what is astrogen? Astrogen is a product which is a natural ingredient which helps the absorption of other, other products. So, for example, if I'm taking in a BCAA or if I'm taking in a citrulline, um, how much is my body actually absorbing? We don't really know. But if I've got astrogen, I know it's a proven product to actually help the absorption of those ingredients. So we chucked astrogen in the pre-workout to help the ingredients just have a, a more bang for their buck. Sure. Uh, we use things like glycoside, which is, um, it, it, what's the easiest way to describe it? Um, glycoside is something which is proven to get more water into the muscle. So water is, again, some of the things that's going to give you a good pump. So blood flow is going to give you a good pump, and also water inside the muscle is going to give you a good pump as well. So we've got glycoside, which is the finest form of glycerol, Glycerol you might hear from cooking. I don't know if people ever glycerol their little clear um, sort of uh, liquid. And glycerol helps with cooking. It helps volumize cooking. Sure. And it also does the same with your body as well. It helps volumize the water into those muscles. So we find the best glycerol that we could find, which is glycosized, and then put it in the product. And we also then looked at clinical dosage of products. So you might have a pre-workout and it might have all the ingredients in that you want from a pre-workout, but what you're not looking at is the dosage of those products. So I've seen pre-workouts in like one gram of citrulline, which uh, citrulline malate is something which helps blood flow, which turns into L-arginine that helps the pump when you train. But it's, it, it advertised citrulline malate, but it won't tell you actually how much is in the product. Sure. So we put a clinical dose in the product that we know will get you an incredible pump. So we use, so we have eight grams of citrulline per two scoops. Um, so we know that if you're a smaller person, you'll take one scoop. You've still got four grams of citrine in there. That's going to give you a really good pump. As you get bigger, you can increase it to one and a half and then two. And we've just clinically dosed the products. We don't use proprietary blends. Um, so proprietary blends just means I can list all the ingredients, but I don't have to tell you how much of them is in it. Okay. So I can say, for example, I've got citrulline, I've got creatine, I've got... Um, and, and if I say, for example, I've got citrulline, I've got creatine, I've got betaine, and I've got uh, multidextrin, and I can just put seven grams next to that. I could have 6.9 grams of multidextrin and a small amount of creatine, a small sure. amount of betaine. I'm, I'm almost hiding the ingredients. Yeah. But we don't do that. We just tell you the ingredients. Bang, there they are. That's the amounts. We don't hide behind proprietary blends. Um, so that, that's the pre-workout. So that's the pre-workout, and that was our first product that we that we made. Um, and the reason behind that that we made the pre-workout first is because I went and spoke to a distributor, um, and we run a, a company which is called My Gym Subs as well. So we sell products online from every brand. Yep. I spoke to my distributor, and I said to him, "What's the best product in the market?" He said, "Nothing sells like a pre-workout. Pre-workout is far superior to any other product in terms of sales. So I was like, right, we're going to make a pre-workout. Sure. So we made a pre-workout, and I actually got a little bit stitched up on the first formula. Um, I went to the manufacturer who was local to me, and I thought, right, I, I like to support local businesses. So I went to the manufacturer who was actually in the same town as me in Ashford, and I said, this is the product I want. This is how I want it to look. This is all the ingredients I have. It's like, yeah, no problem. We paid the money, which isn't cheap, by the way. You sure, know, yeah. You're looking at five, six grand for a, a batch of pre-workouts. Don't get me wrong, there's a lot of pre-workouts in there, but you're looking five, six grand for a batch of pre-workouts. So gave him the money, paid the money, great. Come back with a product which actually wasn't the product that we asked for. So come back with a product that didn't have glycosizing, that didn't have uh, a test certificate to say that this is exactly how much is in that product. So we sent that product back. 
we sent that product back and we said, we're not releasing this to the market. We're mm-hmm. not releasing this to the market until it has ABC in. And in the end, we sort of came to an agreement that for the first batch, we wouldn't use glycosides. So we didn't use glycosides. So we still had a really, really good product, but it didn't have the best ingredients in that we wanted. So we sold that product. And we said to people, tell us what you think. Give us a feedback on that. And people did. People said it's a really, really good product, but you know it's not the best on the market. So we said, great. You know, we appreciate the feedback. So then we found another manufacturer who could actually meet all the demands that we wanted to. So that's when we came up with the the pre that you see now. So that's just called pre, and that now is the you know I, I, I don't like to say it's the best formula on the market. I don't like to say that because there are a hell of a lot of good formulas on the market, and pre workout is also person dependent because most pre workouts have caffeine in. And caffeine will either be too strong for you or too weak for you. So it's, again, person-dependent. But in terms of the actual ingredient spec, it's got to be up there with one of the best pre-workouts in the market. Um, and then we just come up with other products from there, really. You know, we have the whey protein. We have the isolate. Uh, we have a product called Calm, which is coming out, um, which I'm really, really looking forward to. Um, so, again, with my experience with clients, one of the biggest issues, and you'll notice as well, is that a lot of people stress far too much. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, and stress is the killer of gains. It's the killer of fat loss. Like, it's, it's the, the killer, killer of, of everything. You know, when, when I go to endocrinologists, so I'll go to endocrinologists and ask them questions about females' hormones and why do you think this isn't working. The one thing that they always point out to me is that stress will kill all progress. It will kill all progress. It will kill in terms of progress hormonally. So... Maybe you're not having a monthly cycle. Why are you not having a monthly cycle? A lot of the times, it's because you're far too stretched. You're doing everything right. You're following your diet. You're eating in a, you know, in an excess amount of calories. You're not training too hard. You don't carry too much muscle mass. But why are you not having a monthly cycle? Well, one of the reasons that you're not having a monthly cycle is because your stress is through the roof. Yeah. So therefore, it's killing all cortisol through the roof as well. And that's it's that's like one thing I see even in Gen Pop, like, and it's becoming so common in. A lot of people I've worked with this year, um, that they come to you and they're, it's they're either not having a cycle or it's coming every two weeks or three weeks. You know, it's yeah. infrequent. And I always say, listen, go to your GP because that's what you need to do. But I reckon it's stress. Here's some simple ways of stress. I call them stress management, stress coping systems. Um, right. And and often when they implement them, along with perhaps supplementation, it's what the GP. I'm not saying it's going to come back straight away, but the regularity will come eventually in time but i love the fact that you've went on to that topic because that's something during a comp prep that i think needs managed usually the most because usually in the last kind of couple of weeks it's all about reducing that to get a better look right if if your client is on yeah. on, on point not not behind um, absolutely yeah so, so what so- what is there in your new product then that perhaps you know I've always been told, you know, adaptogens are great. Everyone said, oh, get ashwagandha, KSM 66 is awesome. But people probably, that's probably all people know about. They're maybe thinking that. Yeah. But what else is there that might help the body cope with stress a little bit more? That's in your product. So, so, so what we used to prescribe to people is, is lemon balm being one. So lemon balm and ashwagandha. So ashwagandha is actually quite a new product on, into the industry. It's probably, it's only really got its hype maybe over the last 12 months. Um, before that, it was sort of like, right, what do you do to reduce stress, you know? Um, uh, what do you do? Like, people are like, how, how, how do I reduce stress? And then we would just say, right, I want you to take some lemon balm. Uh, I want you to take some bacopa. Um, and, and you just sort of think, right, um, what else can they take? And then ashwagandha came, and people like, ashwagandha, ashwagandha, it's great, da, 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 da. So we tried to put as many anti-stress products as we could together. And we put as many anti-stress products as we could together, and then we said, right, this is now going to be the product that, that we think will be the market leader because I don't see any other products combining the ingredients that we have and saying this, this, these are the proven scientific effects of these products. These products are proven to help you reduce your stress. Um, so we culminated that, put it all together, and we just made it into one product. So we have Bacopa, we have uh, ashwagandha. Again, we have astrogen within that product, which will help the absorption of that. Sure. We also um, have curcumin in that product, the 400 milligrams as well. So curcumin, for people who don't know, is an anti-inflammatory. And again, inflammation causes stress. Um, so we've actually increased curcumin in that product as well. And a lot of people are unaware of this. And I was actually unaware of this 
when I was researching my ingredients is that curcumin has a really, really poor absorption rate from the body. Oh, yeah. So you curcumin and it's really, really poorly absorbed. But if you add 25 milligrams of black pepper extract into that, the absorption of curcumin is almost a thousand times better. Yeah. And that's not an exaggeration. That's a fact from a study that was done in the university. I agree. I agree. So, so the black pepper extract then will help absorb the curcumin. So therefore, it will help reduce inflammation effects, therefore reducing stress. So it's a product that we are so excited about. Um, but it's also a product which has, isn't going to have an immediate effect. It's not going to be, I take one tablet, oh my God, I'm so relieved. <laughs> it's, it's never going to be like that. It's going to be an accumulative effect. It's going to be over and over and over. And what we're doing actually is we're taking a couple of people on trial and we're giving them the product and then checking their blood pressure, how their blood pressure works when they wake up. That's great. So then we can say, well, actually, here is you without calm. Your blood pressure is really, really high. That's one sign of stress. Your blood pressure is really, really high. We're also going to see how you feel every day when you wake up. Are you feeling tired? Are you feeling fatigued? And we're going to run that for a month. And we're going to monitor your blood pressure for a month. And we're also going to talk to you every day and say, how do you feel every day? And of course, you've got the placebo effect of, oh my God, I'm feeling so good for taking this tablet. But you've also got the factual effects of the blood pressure coming down as well. So it's something that we're really, really excited about because that, in my opinion, will be a game changer for a lot of people. 100% dude. And I just, again, think it's another good example from this past hour or so that, again, looking at people's health, because ultimately someone that is chronically stressed, uh, whether you know it or not, will not live quite as long for those of you listening. Um so the fact, again, UK's leading prep coach putting health at the forefront, his own supplement brand, um, is awesome to see. So I think this kind of is good for us to wrap up on this final one that will be all about yourself, Rob. Um, so what I wanted to ask you, and I'm just going to combine these two together, is what do you feel in your current career has been your biggest lesson that you've learned from? And if there is one piece of advice for aspiring coaches out there who they maybe look at you and you know that they want a business like you you that you inspire them to be better what would your advice be to them and why so uh, what was the first part of the question it was what is the biggest lesson you have learned in your career yeah yeah. Yeah, so so i can combine these two together absolutely so longevity in the game is so so important so like in terms of coaching in terms of bodybuilding i i was bodybuilding in 2012 it's now 2019 seven years on i took my first client on board in 2014 so my first client on board is 2014 it's now 2019 it's been five years of coaching five years of learning five years of just making sure that day in day out i do what's needed so consistency and longevity are, are, are two things that are absolutely imperative to any journey that you want to go on. And learning from people who have been there and done it, you know, because I've made mistakes. I've talked about some of my mistakes on, on, on here. I talk about my mistakes a lot because I've made a hell of a lot of mistakes. But what I've done is I've learned from the mistakes. So then rather than you make the mistakes, learn from my mistakes. Learn from people who have been in the industry a long time and learn from their mistakes. And then don't make their mistakes. And then finally, I would say, just be yourself, you know, be yourself, you know. In life, I'm a very, very outspoken person. I have opinions on things. That's not right or wrong. It's also not right or wrong if you don't want to speak out and if you don't want to have opinions on things. That's not right or wrong. Nothing is right or wrong. It's just you. But eventually, especially with the world of social media, the real you will come out. And if you've portrayed a fake image this whole time, people will look at you and think, what a fake prick. <laughs> yeah. no, no one ever looks at me and thinks Rob is fake. They might think I'm a prick, but no one ever looks at me and thinks Rob's fake. It's always genuine. The person that you see online is the person I am. Because I would never want to go to somebody and and then then they turn around to their mates and say, that Jesus not really like what he portrays, is he? Because that's, that's not a great image to give and that's going to be really, really poor for your business. So in, in, in essence, so consistency longevity being yourself and then just learn from people who have made those mistakes on the track that you want to go if they're on the track that you want to go on have a look at them look at their mistakes and think right i'm not going to make that mistake how did rob solve it how did Ron solve it how, how was how was it solved okay I, I know i'm not going to make that mistake now so i'm going to go around that one and go on to step three instead of going on to step two 
Yeah, love that. So, if we could, if there's listeners out there again that maybe perhaps hiding under a rock and want to get in touch with you, want to know where to perhaps buy your supplements um, and everything else in between, where could they contact you and, and what would that be on? Yeah, so just uh, if you ever have any emails, it's uh, info at teamlrf.co.uk. I don't manage that um, email account. Mel manages that email account, but she will direct you in the place that you need to go. Um, so whether it be supplements or coaching or Skype calls or whatever, she can then direct you as to as to where you need to go. So if you ever need to get a hold of me, you can always um, info at teamlrf.co.uk. Or on Instagram, you'll find at team underscore LRF because someone already had at team LRF before I got on there because I was old, <laughs> I was slow to the ground. So I had to put an underscore in between team and LRF. Yeah, wicked. Well, I'd just like to say from myself, everyone listening, uh, thank you for coming on board. Um, please continue to do what you do. Um, I personally think it's awesome. You're a big inspiration to myself and a lot of coaches that I personally work with at the moment. Um great to see so we'll wrap things up there um mate enjoy vegas um and i'm sure all your athletes will do fantastic as always and we'll catch up soon thanks very much buddy have a great evening see you